You know, God has given us so so many blessings as a church, not the least of which is uh, the choir of angels that we had uh, leading, leading us in song this morning. I think anyone who is older really appreciates and likes the fact that we have a lot of kids running around and young people. And if you don't, you are too grumpy. And you just need to turn to your neighbor and say, hello, grumpy. Because um, that, that is a true blessing of the Lord. Uh, we want to make sure we steward that blessing correctly as, as uh, we move into the year ahead. Uh, Lord willing, uh, just two weeks, about two weeks, three weeks from now, we will be able to close on a property just 1.0 miles east of here. So on our demise, just east of Seven Highway, next to St. Mary's Hospital. And uh, that'll be nice, because here we are, the, the one Sunday we've had the most baptisms we've ever had, as far as I know in the history of this church, but certainly in the time that I've been here. And would you know it, on that Sunday is the Sunday that the circuit breaker trips, and so the water wasn't as warm as it could be. Um, in other words, bringing all of those people that you saw into the fellowship of Jesus' sufferings. Uh, I don't know how, I don't know what uh, the temperature was of the Jordan River, but probably um, not, you know, certainly not any more than that. So, uh, so that was uh, that was good. Now, the good thing is this new property we'll be moving to. I've been told we have three-phase power. I don't know what that means, except I think we get to have a teleporter and a a transponder and a teleporter, and we're able to uh, beam you to different places, I think is what it means. you got three phase powers. So um, that, will, that will help resolve some of those things. So uh, praise the Lord. You know, there was a police, speaking of older people, there was a police officer that pulled over a car that was traveling just incredibly slow. And he, and he tailed this car for quite a while, and so finally he, you know, put on lights and pulled him over and said, you know, why are you going so slow? So the guy who was driving said, you know, I saw a sign that uh, read 20, so I kept it at 20. And police officer said, well, that's not, that's not the speed limit sign. That was the number of this highway. Uh, that was this highway number sign. And uh, he kind of looks around the car, and everybody else, I mean, their hair is standing on end, their eyes are, eyes are wide, and he says, okay, you know, how come you guys are so distraught? They said, well, we just got off Highway 121. So I don't know, you and Jacob may both be distraught today, but all I want for Christmas is to draw you into this Bible story. <coughs> We're going to draw down some of the parallels between Jesus' birth and our own days. So between the Palestine of Jesus' day and now, uh, between the dictator that existed then and the ones who exist today, between the fragile interconnected economies both then and now, and between the uncertainty and the anxiety of their time and of ours, because it is so evident this Christmas that we're not just in the last days of the church age, I think we are at the two-minute warning. So I don't know if you're going 20 or 120, and I don't know if you're confused, bewildered, or lined up in the neutral zone before the snap. Uh, But we need to be on the same page with our young people. Because if you'll look at Romans 13, verse 12, there on your handout sheet. 
Paul tells us the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. And the problem is that within current politics, our diplomacy is never connected uh, to, you know, our, our diplomacy never connects sociology with religion. Those two are never connected. So we ignore every religion. We ignore Christ-like character. We know, ignore the v- value of Bible virtues. We think we can benefit the world with a better economy built on the back of corruption, misogyny, and abuse in, in different lands. And we think that it was just the great trinity freedom, democracy, and capitalism that made America great. And we forgot that in actual fact it was the value of Bible virtues being instilled into the children of our society who then grew up to be adults. And yes, there were plenty of contradictions to that on the ground. And yet that is the only way that freedom ever really works. So my thesis for today's study is that we make a grave mistake when we think we can save society without saving people, without getting people saved. So turn to Genesis chapter 36. Let me press on that point to give you some proof. We think we can replicate freedom in Palestine with a good economy. And we forget that they teach their religion basically as a death cult where mothers are raising their boys from the time they are a child to believe that the highest good that they can attain is martyrdom in the cause of jihad. So we think we can do nation building in Afghanistan, fail so miserably after all the blood and treasure that immediately it reverts back to the Taliban. We think that if we just get rid of communism, then Russia as a nation will play nice with the rest of the world. And all I'm trying to say is, that the causes of suffering in the first century have now come full circle. They are the causes of suffering in our world today. But thank God the answers are also the same. So starting the first of this year, every month, we are going to highlight a different character quality of Christ-likeness. And we're going to do that by integrating our adults in with what our Harvest Kids are getting and our youth so that we can all be saying the same things together. Because I think that if the parents, the grandparents, and if this church does not teach the value of Bible virtues for our kids, they likely will not get it anyplace else. And that that is the gift that I want to give you this Christmas. That is the emphasis I want the Holy Spirit to implement in us in this next year especially as we move, especially as God gives us the space to do a great work in these last days. Here in Genesis 36, if you look at verse 2, it says, Esau took his wives, the daughters of Canaan. Ada, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and and I don't even know how to pronounce the name, so I'll make it up. You won't know the difference. Ahalobamah, the daughter of Ana, the daughter of Zibion, the Hivite, and Bashamath, Ishmael's daughter, verse, chapter 26, verse 35 says, they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. Why? Well, the name Aholibamah means um, the tent at the high place. So that was connected with idolatry. 
Returning to chapter 28, well, you notice in verse 2 of this chapter, that verse is constructed in such a way that it tells you she was the illegitimate child of adultery, and either Ana or Zibion, two brothers in Genesis 36.20, were her biological father, and they don't know which one. Now, the, the Christian Standard Bible translators do not understand what is happening here, so they change the verse in their Bibles, which does not read like any Hebrew text. Ditto the New American Standard Bible. Ditto the New International Version, the New Living Translation, the Net Bible. Now, if you have one of those Bibles, uh, this is not your fault. I am just telling you why. We come at you from the King James Version. Ada's name in the Jewish mind connects her with immorality. So, verse 8, Genesis 28 says, Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan pleased not Isaac his father, then went Esau unto Ishmael and took unto the wives which he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebahath, to be his wife, well, now, we already know that Esau plans on killing Jacob. So now he also marries a daughter of Ishmael, and that will allow Esau to, to unite both lines from Abraham into one single house. Excuse me. When he finally kills Jacob, he's going to get the birthright back. And then, that, and then now, having married one of Esau's kids, then his sons are going to have a lineage that means they get something from Ishmael as well, having married one of Ishmael's kids. So both Rebecca and Isaac send Jacob away and say, do not get a wife right here. Go back, all the way back to grandfather Abraham's house in Haran. Isaac says, find a wife there because religion controls sociology, verses 2 through 5. So this is our first point for study. If we want to build a society that God can use, we have got to instill the virtues that God values. We have to do that. Turn to Genesis 29. We saw last Sunday how Jacob's personality transformation really begins at Bethel. Then he heads for the people of the east here in chapter 29, verse 1, specifically to Haran, the last dwelling place of Abraham before he headed to Canaan as a pilgrim. Because that is where Rebecca's brother lives, is back there in Haran. Uh, chapter 29, verse 9. And while he yet spake with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she kept them. And it came to pass, when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, and Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth, watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. Because she's not associated with immorality or idolatry. <coughs> As a matter of fact, she is a shepherdess and Jacob is a shepherd. So in verse 10, three times it talks about finding someone just like his mother. I mean, he thinks that he has hit the jackpot. So now he's going to move from weeping to working. Watch verse 14. And Laban said to him, surely thou art my bone and my flesh. And Jacob abode with him the space of a month. And then Laban said unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother, shouldest thou therefore serve me for naught? Tell me, what shall thy wages be? 
Jacob loved Rachel and said, I'll serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. And Laban said, it's better that I give her to thee than that I should give her to another man. Abide with me. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed unto him but a few days for the love that he had for her. So the natural man, Laban, and the carnal man, Jacob, they are both of one mind. Laban needs an employee. Jacob needs a wife. And the work that Jacob does puts him in the same pasture with Rachel. And so now all the rough edges that Esau has not been able to hack off Jacob, Laban is going to sand away. So first Laban says, my bone, my flesh, my brother. But now he says, look, you're going to serve me. I'm just not going to make you do it for free. Uh, So you tell me what you want out of this. Verse 21. After seven years, Jacob said unto Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled that I may go in unto her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. And once more, God's discipline is going to disciple and define Jacob. Because after 2,520 days, it is finally his wedding night. There's no minister, there's no marriage license, there's no ring exchange. Because in the Bible, the reception itself constitutes a marriage ceremony. So Laban, who never gives anything away, including a a bride, (coughs) he brings a, a veiled, enchanted female to Jacob's tent flap. Look down in verse 23 now. Moonlight on the desert sands is kind of blurring his vision. So next, next morning, Jacob sleeps late, yawns, smiles to himself, snuggles his pillow with all the happy memories, reaches over with his arm thinking, oh, what a night, <laughs> and about all the wonderful days and nights ahead, and his bride yawns, and she stretches and rolls over to face him, only to find out, and it came to pass, that Laban took Leah's daughter and brought her to him, and Jacob went in unto her. Now, can you just imagine the next 30 minutes dialogue? This needs to be the next, uh, this needs to be the next sight and sound uh, extravaganza in Branson, I think. Uh, Leah's sitting there smiling like a Cheshire cat. Jacob is banging his head against the bedpost. Verse 17 says Leah was tender-eyed. But Rachel, she was one bad mamma jamma. And that means the only thing really attractive about Leah was her eyes. And so all Laban has to do to get Leah up off of that couch cushion is to say, hey, follow me. And it reminds me of the man who fell in love with a famous soprano. Went to every performance that she had, every opera she sang in. And after a whirlwind romance, it was finally their honeymoon night. They got into the room at the hotel. She wiped off her mascara, took off her wig removed her fake eyelashes, set aside her fake fingernails, put her false teeth in the jar to clean, and then unstrapped her one prosthetic leg. And at that point, the man said, Sing, darling, sing. So here's Jacob. He's just coming off deceiving his father Isaac into thinking he was a firstborn when he was a younger And now he wants the younger, and he gets the firstborn. And so here are the words that come out of Laban's mouth, justifying his actions. Verse 26, Laban said, It must not be so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Ouch! 
So you know Dolly Parton has a country song about this. Somewhere she got a country song about this. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like Taylor Swift now having to write a song about the referees. So Jacob discovers this is a bitter pill to swallow your own medicine. And he agrees to serve another seven years for Rachel, although she is given to him right away. And she and her sister begin a baby race. Look at chapter 30. 14, the 14-year 14 soap opera starts. This time Laban changes Jacob's wages 10 times, Genesis 31.7. Finally, it is with the birth of his 11th son and Rachel's very first one. They named him Joseph. That Jacob's heart turns toward home. Verse 22, God remembered Rachel and God hearkened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bare a son and said, God hath taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. It came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said unto Laban, Send me away that I may go unto mine own place and to my own country. So Rachel gets it right. She recognized that God did this for her. And she acknowledges her faith in him to do it once again. By the name that she gives her baby, the Lord will add another So Rachel's no longer a fair woman lacking discretion like Proverbs 11.22 talks about. No, she's using the refining fire of shame. And through that, she becomes a woman who deserves to be the mother of the greatest picture in Bible type of the Lord Jesus Christ anywhere in the Old Testament, the man Joseph. So by this time, Jacob's clothes kind of look like a used camouflage net. So he says in verse 26, Give me my wives and my children, for whom I have served thee, and let me go. For thou knowest my service, which I have done unto thee. Turn to chapter 31. What ensues now is a dance with the devil, in which Jacob ends up staying six more years, and asks as his wages something that only God should be able to control. He wants the blessing of fruitfulness on his distinct flocks. But then after six years, whenever that actually happens, and now Laban ain't looking at him the same way, he tells Rachel and Leah that the angel of God told him, verse 13, I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar and where thou vowest to vow unto me. Now arise, get thee out from this land, and return unto the land of thy kindred. So Jacob is a picture in Bible type of Israel outside the land among the Gentiles. They're outside the place of their own blessing. And yet God is blessing Gentiles through them. This is our second point for study. When God's refining finally changes your character, then he releases you and not even a Laban can stop you. Jacob has no altar. He's treated unjustly, but his family is preserved and he ends up wealthy. Jacob makes a plan, he leaves secretly, and he's going to make Laban track him, verse 22. And it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob was fled. Laban took his brethren with him and pursued after them seven days' journey, and they overtook him in the Mount Gilead. So he catches up to him. Laban's already been warned by God not to do anything either good or bad toward Jacob. And as to just how Jacob's character has changed, all you got to do is keep reading, verse 51. Laban said to Jacob, Behold this heap and behold this altar, which I have cast between me and thee. This heap shall be with this heap of stones, and this one big stone, 
will there be a witness, and, 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 and I, that I will not pass over this heap to thee, and thou shalt not pass over this heap and this pillar unto me for harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge betwixt us. And Jacob swore by the God of, by the fear of his father, Isaac. So Laban swears by the God of Terah, who was Abraham's father. Nahor was Abraham's brother. They were both idolaters, Joshua 24, verse 2. Abraham used to be an idolater until he believed God, followed him to Canaan. So Jacob swears by (coughs) the God that his father Isaac fears, who was the Lord who told Abraham to move. Why? Because religion always governs sociology. So watch, look at verse 54. Then Jacob offered sacrifice upon the mount, and called his brethren to eat bread, and they did eat bread, and tarried all night in the mount. So Jacob offers a sacrifice, Laban has none. That's a sign of Jacob's character. In his younger years, Jacob desired God's blessing, but he did not desire God. Now he desires God. That's a sign of Jacob's character. What makes someone get saved and never submit to believer's baptism? Or how is it that they get saved and they never get discipled? Well, it's the old man. They keep living in the old man Instead of living from the new nature, the new man inside, they just keep living by fallen human nature. And maybe they go to a church that doesn't tell you the importance of being a disciple-making disciple. So what does God have to do to make you want Him and want to follow Him and not just have the blessing of a fire escape from hell? Verse 1 of chapter 32 says, And Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's host. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. Don't we all need angels watching over us, O Lord? Going out and coming in. I mean, I know that I pray that for our kids. Verse 6, And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to thy brother Esau, and also he cometh to meet thee, by the way, uh, 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people who was with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two bands. And he said, If Esau come to the one company and smite it, and the other company which is left shall escape. Now wait, he just obeyed God and left, like, like God told him, he left Laban. Uh, he took an oath predicated on the fear of that one and only God, Uh, He's offered a sacrifice to God on the mount. So why is God doing this to me when I have done everything he told me? And that is the way we all think under stress. But in every case, it is always because we got more lessons to learn. And Jacob's about to learn his. He's not continuing instant in prayer, as Romans 12, 12 says to do. Instead, he's planning, he's programming, he's strategizing. How he's going to set Zilpah and Bilhah, his concubines and their kids in front, just in case, case there's a, ca- uh, a, a cavalry charge. And then he's going to use Leah to screen Rachel and Joseph in the back. You know, whenever Peter saw Moses and Elijah with Jesus transfigured on the mount, he got afraid. 
And after he got afraid, the first thing that he did was suggest a building program. I'm praising the Lord that God did not make us go through that. Amen. I mean, we get to move instead of build, just like Abraham and Jacob. So now, now we see Jacob's first real prayer. It's real because he initiates it. Verse 9. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, the Lord which said unto me, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I'll deal well with thee. I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I'm become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. And thou saidst, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So Jacob now does what he should have done at the first. He claims his own unworthiness. He admits his lack of righteousness. He thanks God for his goodness and his providential provision. And then he unloads the burden of his heart and says, deliver me. He takes God's promise. He claims it. He asks God to magnify his word. Oh, holy night. Verse 24, and Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. You know where we need to get our character qualities from in 2024? Every month we're going to do a different character quality. We need to get them from Abraham, who was faithful. Noah in the ark. Daniel in the, in the lion's den. David taking down Goliath. Peter walking on water. And right here, Jacob's match with the angel of the Lord, because that is who he was wrestling, according to Hosea 12, verses 3 and 4. And each one of those stories illustrates the value of Bible virtues, or maybe more importantly, how you get there in your own life. Job chapter 16, verse 16, Job said, My face is foul with weeping, and on my eyelids is the shadow of death. That was Job. This is Jacob. Haven't you ever been there? We need to let Jacob lead us in prayer this morning. He confesses every sin and some he only thought about. He claims every promise and some that hadn't been invented yet. And when he looks up, he finds that he's praying just a few feet away from a young man, a man who now walks over and puts him in a hold. That was the Arabian night hold. Because this is our third point for study. Real blessing can only come whenever the believer is brought to the point of clinging. Your thigh is the strongest part of your body, and there must come a day when God dislocates your strength, your natural will to trust the old man and not look to God in everything. And you know, your strong suit may be different than mine, but for each of us, that dislocating work will be a crisis, painful experience. It'll be traumatic. I mean, one touch and Jacob is lamed. Do you ever feel overwhelmed with anxiety and fear this time of year? Let it draw you to Jesus today. 
the, the discipline can bring you so far that you arrive at Peniel down in verse 30, which is the same place, just a new name, because you see the face of God and you survive. Verse 26, and the angel said, let me go for the day breaketh. Jacob said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. Lord, don't break me, just bless me. I know I'll never win. That's why I need mercy. I was asking, then I was seeking. Now I am knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8. I mean, the game just wasn't over yet for Jacob. There's an epitaph over a grave in Bristol, England. The epitaph says, Here lie John and Richard Ben, two lawyers and two honest men. God works miracles now and then. So since Jacob's epitaph is not written yet, and neither is yours, then God asks him in advance a specific question that he already knows the answer to, but he wants Jacob's verbal admission, verse 27, and the angel said unto him, what is thy name? And Jacob goes from a request for urgency to an admission of honesty. My name is Poacher, Trespasser, Supplanter. Or joker, toker, and midnight smoker, as the case may be. But this angel replies so majestically, verse 28, and he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. I mean, I don't even know what that means. How do you prevail without winning? I mean, he obviously didn't win. He couldn't win that match. But he prevailed. Uh, Jacob receives a new name because he's put on the new man, Ephesians 4.24, Colossians 3.10. And because he's a new person, he's now going to walk in new power, even though it is the power of weakness. Verse 30, and yet, verse 30, Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. He doesn't say, I wrestled with God and prevailed, although he was told that. What he says is, when I saw God, he preserved me. Verse 31, and as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him and he halted upon his thigh. And that limp, is evidence of the inner change because that affected his daily walk. And all of us limp even after we get saved. Romans 7, we're afflicted all our lives by the old man. Ephesians 4, Colossians 3, he will not be eradicated until the death of this body. 1 John 1, verses 6 to 9. I mean, we have a live spirit now, if you're saved by being born again, you have a new nature. You still have the old nature and the same old flesh until either the rapture or the resurrection. And until then, we've got to continue to mortify what has been crucified in Christ. Romans 8, 13 and Colossians 3, 5. And here's God. He sets up there over this fire. He's the great refiner and he's stirring the silver in the pot. He sits there and, and stokes the fire in order to purify us. Malachi 3.3. 3. He knows how much heat the metal can stand. Zechariah 13. And when we do our part, he does his part. And then out comes what 2 Timothy 2.21 calls a vessel unto honor, sanctified. It means all the dross has been purged. 
meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. And that is how our church saves society right there. We save society by getting people saved. I know a lot of churches, I mean almost all evangelical churches, they do that. They give the gospel, they get people saved. But they do not preach from the Bible that we have as the authoritative words of God. And they rely on psychotherapy, therefore, instead of focusing on character transformation by Christ-likeness from the value of Bible virtues. So the best message you can get for Christmas is right here. That the Spirit of God will always answer to the true Word of God to do the work of God in your life. To use the purging and the refining fire and to use pressure to create precious gemstones for the king. There was a young lady. She was soaking up to raise on a Florida beach. And a little boy comes up to her in his swim trunks. And he's carrying a towel, and he asks her, Do you believe in God? Now, she was surprised by that question. Uh, You know, kind of like our kids up here singing. Can you imagine five-year-old? Well, who's Jesus? Oh, he's offspring of the virgin's womb. So, okay, do you believe in God? uh, Yeah, I do. Then he asked her, do you go to church every Sunday? And again, her answer was, yes, I do. Then he asked a third question, do you read your Bible every day and pray? She said, yes. I mean, by now her curiosity is aroused. Until at last that little boy sighs and with obvious relief, He says, will you hold my quarter while I go swimming? One year ago today, I was announcing that we were moving all adult classes off Sunday service times so that we could put our kids back in their insufficient education wing and bring back our youth onto Sunday service times. And you know, fully one-third of our attendance any given Sunday is children looking for adults whom they can trust to hold their quarter for them. God wants you to do so much more than that with us as we move. My time is up. I thank you for yours. Every head bowed, every eye closed. When Jesus comes into your life, God gives you a secret agent on the inside, His Holy Spirit. It is His presence and His power that shows up in answer to the Word of God. As you read, study, and apply it in life. Crip walking, maybe. But seeing God and limping to tell about it. Maybe you're saved. You still need the discipline of discipleship. I mean, sign up today on your way out. Just stop at the desk and sign up. One-on-one, we pair you up. 16 basic fundamental concepts of the Christian life. You need to get ready this year for whatever is out there next year. You need to get prepared now, not only for how God wants to use you now, but what he has for you in eternity. Because it is the word of God that will do the work in your life. But if you're not yet saved, if you've not trusted Jesus for everlasting life and been born again, then nothing will work for you. And even if the devil gives you peace, prosperity, and the pursuit of happiness, it'll only be to deceive you and damn you for eternity. 
Won't you escape that right now? God has a purpose for your soul in His eternity. You can claim that today by faith. And after you claim that today by faith, you can trust Jesus for victory over all the Esau's and all the Goliaths and everything else. I mean, He's the latter. Once you start going up, you will overcome. All you got to do today is pray just your heart to God. But this is a transaction. Why do you, you say, Alan, why I got to pray? Because that, you know, that's a transaction you got to make with Jesus on your own. Just pray. Say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. But today I've seen that Jesus died for me. Jesus suffered for me. Jesus bled for my sins in my place on his cross so that he could save me and redeem me and give me everlasting life in exchange for my faith in him. I want that life right now. I want that life that's in Jesus. So I take Jesus as my Lord. God save me for Jesus' sake. Put me in Christ, seal the Holy Spirit inside me, make me born again. Here, Jesus, I give you my life. And if you prayed that prayer, then before you leave today, come up here and let us know. We'll have people here at the front so I can give you a copy of my book, Next Steps for New Believers. Go ahead and go, well, stay seated. Let, let me go ahead and ask the ushers to come forward. We deferred the offering this week. That's another, you know, strange year, strange week, strange Sunday. But praise the Lord. We deferred the offering to the end because we had both baptisms and the kids singing. So as the praise team leads us uh, to send us out singing, the uh, ushers are going to lift the offering, as they used to say in the old church. But, you know, if you need a church, you need to be a member of, you, you want to be a member here, come out and talk to us. Yeah, you saw all those people baptized today. Next scheduled time is Super Sunday, February 11th. That's why it will be a Super Sunday. We're going to have baptisms, and you come out and talk to us about getting baptized then. Maybe you just need prayer. If you need somebody to pray with you, pray over you, or pray for you, we're happy to do that today. Next Sunday's Christmas Eve. You need to come so you can see what happens when your own family misses Christmas. Be here, bring somebody with you. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this time together. I thank you now for every person who gives to this church. Lord, what a, what a key time, what a critical time for us. We move into a new place. Finally, God, instead of two times the size that we need to do what just what you're doing right here, giving us three times the size. Well, obviously, you got something for us to do. You want us to grow. This has to be. We have to see today as a harbinger of that. The most baptisms we've ever had. Well, God, i got to say like Jacob, Lord, I'm, we're, we're unwor- I'm unworthy. We're unworthy. The best things that you do is when you get me out of the way. I thank you today for that. I pray for those who are about to give. God, I thank you for their faithfulness in giving, giving you the first fruits so you can bless, bless the rest. I pray you'd multiply it many times over in your use through the ministries of this church. God, I thank you for the clear direction you've given us. 
Lord, you know, I'm praying that I don't have to sweat the finances as we go into a new place, new building, with a new mortgage, with a new budget, new things to do. God, I'm just looking to you. I thank you. I thank you. I can look to you in this. Let's all look to you together. We ask it in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen.